morning to you. Good morning. Happy uh, Fourth of July weekend again. I uh, hope you spend some time enjoying that uh, tomorrow. I know that I will be parked behind a grill for uh, part of the day, and I'm excited about that. Um, but today we're going to be picking up our series, and I just want to warn you, it's not going to be super chipper today because we're at the beginning of Acts chapter 5. If you know the story, we're going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, and so uh, Acts chapter 5, if you have a Bible. Now, we've been on a little break from this series for a couple weeks now. So let me just kind of set the scene again for you so we're all kind of on the same page. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, which is written by Luke the Apostle, if you read the book of Acts and you start to read about what the ascended Jesus is doing through his spirit in the newly birthed church, uh, it almost seems too good to be true, uh, right? You've got the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling. Uh, Jesus said this in Acts 1.8. Uh, if, if you know this, we talk about this as an Alliance church. We're an Acts 1.8 family, so that's an important text for us. If you don't know about the Alliance over where the coffee used to be, and if you're new, you don't know that, but in the wooden little uh, niche there in the lobby, when you come in, there's some info there that you can grab. Uh, so you've got the Holy Spirit at the beginning of Acts coming and dwelling, empowering his people, uh, the church, to go and take the mission of God uh, to where they uh, find themselves, in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so uh, we see literally thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus, becoming followers of Jesus and forming what we now know as the church. We see the apostles performing miracles. Uh, we, we see Peter preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and if you have been alive for more than maybe 10 or 15 years, uh, then you might begin to ask yourself, if you're reading Acts, at the beginning of Acts, where are the problems? Because when thousands of people just suddenly come together into something, there's going to be problems, right? Yes, there are. And so uh, as we move on in the story of Acts, we get into chapter 4, we begin to see some problems that arise from the outside of the church. There's pressure from uh, religious leadership outside the church. We see those who are opposed to this new movement try and squash it, but they can't because, as Jesus said, the gates of hell won't even prevail against his church. And so as we get into Acts chapter 5, though, we start to see problems from the inside of the church arise and so the pattern that we're going to see here from Luke, the author of Acts, is a comparison of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, if you will, uh, or all the other options that are not faithfulness, which are not good. And so at the end of chapter 4, then the beginning of chapter 5, we're going to get an example of this. And we're going to read the beginning of 5 together in a minute. But before we get into the story in Acts, I do think it's helpful to understand something coming from the author Luke's first work, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, if you read Luke's gospel, one of the things you'll see in that gospel is that one of his main themes, one of the burdens he seems to have, is that he wants us as Christians to be free from the love of stuff, from the love of money, from the love of things, even from the love of approval. And he wants us to, to grow in our love, not for things, but for people who are made in the image of God. And so he doesn't believe that you can have both at the same time. Because if your heart is is in love with things, you're going to see people as a means to get more things. But if your heart is in love with people, you see things as a means to love people with. And so that's what uh, this story is kind of about. It's a little snapshot of this community of faith, these people whose hearts are being transformed by the believing in Jesus. And I, and I would invite you to go back and ask a little bit and read about where these people are coming from. It's very diverse. All kinds of different ideas being united 
in the church by the blood of Jesus. So they find themselves, in, in, later on in the beginning of Acts, before we get to 5, they find themselves, if you remember, really caring about one another. They're doing crazy stuff, selling stuff, giving the money to one another, and, and no one had a need. They're free, freely selling real estate, right? Which is kind of like selling retirement plans. Uh, they're selling that stuff and just taking care of one another. Uh, and, and they're really taking to heart what Jesus said back in Luke 12. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. That God delights, if you know and love Jesus, to give you the entire kingdom. Sell your possession then and give alms, is Jesus' words. So this is exactly what we find them doing in Acts 4. And it's, this is important to understand. It's not because they're coerced. This is not some program of coerced giving set up by the church. That never works. It's because they heard the word of Jesus and they believed him that the entire kingdom was coming to them. And so therefore, I can have open hands. This is a convincing argument to me. There's some debate that Ananias and Sapphira are not actual converts. Now, I'm willing to, to have a conversation about that, but that's where I land as of this morning. They are what we might call false converts who hadn't actually experienced the Father's good pleasure in them that comes by faith in Jesus, and so they valued the things of this world too much in this moment. And so Luke stresses this right here in Acts 5, verse 4. Ananias, if you know the story, we're going to read it, had sold a field. He brought the proceeds and the apostles, but he told them that he brought all of it, and he lied. He didn't bring all of it, and we're going to see that. And so Peter understands here, like Peter knows, this might be how you would act if somebody was forcing you to do this. You might want to hide some of it because you have to do it, so you might want to hide it. And so Peter tells Ananias, well, like, why? there's no constraint. Nobody's being generous because anyone's telling them to. No one's forcing you to give. This is your stuff. If you see people around you giving stuff away, they're not being forced. None of us apostles are going to them and telling them, hey, you better. That's not what's happening here. It's out of freedom. This is what faith does. It causes generosity to spring up where there used to be a need to keep things for ourselves, to get all you can and can all you get. My grandpa loved to say that. So Peter says that in verse 4, while it remained unsold, your property, didn't it still belong to you? That's your property. So there's, here we see private property in the book of Acts, in the church. There, there's no church rules that say you have to sell it, that it's not yours anymore, that's not what's going on. If people around you are saying, oh, my possessions aren't mine, they're doing it out of generosity, no other reason. And so what Luke is describing for us here in this story is really that just he's giving us a snapshot of what radical freedom from this looks like when you have true faith in Jesus. Christianity is not a matter of external conformity to rules. That's not what Christianity, if you thought that's what Christianity was, it's not what it is. It's a matter of real and true liberty on the inside, freedom that allows you to do things that maybe you don't want to do. It's not a matter of coercion. Coercion has never converted anybody. Coercion has never converted anybody. So at the end of chapter 4, you might remember, a couple weeks back, we met a guy named Barnabas. Okay, Barnabas. 
He, he is a prime example of all the good things happening in the early church. He's unified with his brothers and sisters. He seems to be a man full of grace and power. He cares. Uh, his name, his nickname is Barnabas. His real name is Joseph, but they call him Barnabas, son of encouragement. What a nickname, right? Because that's the way that he is. Look at chapter 4, verse 36. He just encourages everybody. And right at the end of Acts 4, as we said, he sells his property on the island of Cyprus. He lays the proceeds at the apostles' feet for distribution to the needy. Now, this is a side note, but as a pastor, like a leader in a church, it is wild to me to think that somebody would come and drop a bag of money at your feet. Like, distribute this. It's, it's a crazy, crazy idea, right? But you'll notice that every time we meet Barnabas in the book of Acts, and there's a bunch of times, he's helping somebody. Every time we meet Barnabas, he's helping someone. Now, as we said, though, things in the early church are not just all sharing and caring, right? People, always, people want to say that, oh, we need to go back to how the early church was. And I'm like, have you read the epistles, though? It's full of problems like we got. And everything wasn't good. Already we're going to see a huge opportunity for disunity and for sin to enter into and break the community of faith here. And it's going to come by this couple who are part of the community of faith, Ananias and Sapphira. And so let's take a look. We're going to take a look at two examples for the next few minutes. We're going to remember the contrast. Barnabas held up as an example of faithfulness. And then we have here at the beginning of chapter 5, this couple held up as an example of kind of unfaithfulness, of what it looks like to not uh, be faithful. And so Luke is sort of giving us case studies. Now, before we dig into it, I want to just read the text. So Acts 5, 1 through 16. Today we're really going to focus on verses 1 through 11, but I'm going to read that whole chunk, 1 through 16. I'm reading from the ESV, which is the blue Bibles around you if you don't have one. Uh, if, you, if you don't own a Bible, there are some soft ones uh, in that information area that you can take home. Uh, soft ones? Softback, right? How do you say that? Paperback. Paperback. What am I doing up here? Paperback Bibles. And uh, you can take that one home. All right, let me just read the Bible. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all. Yeah, that's how, what I would say too. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than, every, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. 
so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So after that story of Ananias and Sapphira, you get this amazing thing happening in the church. And so simultaneously, what's interesting is the church can be moving with great power while at the same time dealing with sin inside the church. We don't have, it's not one or the other, it's both and it's complicated and it's messy. So let's look at Barnabas first. Again, back to Acts 4.36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now that's all we get about Barnabas for now. Uh, we're going to see him a bunch more times. And again, every time we see him, he's helping somebody. That's his thing. And so he is kind of a, a shining example here of what a mature, reliable uh, leader in the church should look like. A, a mature believer. This is what they look like in the early church. Right here in Acts 4, Luke shows us how Barnabas, uh, how his ministry really began. It began by this just act of, uh, of generosity. It began with this freedom from the love of things that Luke wants to point out here and a, and a heart of love for those who are in need. That's what's going on here with Barnabas. He sells his field and he gives all the proceeds to the apostles. And so in this story, he stands out as an example of faithfulness. He, he stands as an example of what the love of Jesus does to somebody who's been converted to, to know and love him, and, and that is to, to grow in our love for Jesus, but that also means to grow in our love for those that Jesus loves. And so Barnabas evidently loves his brothers and sisters in the church, and so this is what he does. So that's Barnabas, but now we have to deal with the other example here in the text, Ananias and Sapphira. And so Ananias and Sapphira basically are like the exact opposite of Barnabas here. Right? They're, they're kind of juxtaposed to Barnabas. That They are people who have not really been changed on the inside, but who still want some of the honor in the church. Now, I heard somebody else use this example. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. On July 4th weekend, it kind of makes sense to talk about this. But one of the, one of the things you can search on YouTube, if you want to get yourself riled up, I'm not recommending it, don't do it, is the idea of stolen valor. I don't know if you've ever heard of this idea. This is when somebody wears military uniform that has not been in the military. Right? And, and this is kind of what Ananias and Sapphira are doing a little bit here. They want the praise, but they're not actually converted. And so the reason they drop dead here is not because this is what happens to all hypocrites. Praise God, right? Because <laughs> we wouldn't be here. That's like when people say, oh, man, I, I can't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. I sometimes will say, you'd fit right in there. <laughs> right? Because we're not, the, the idea isn't that you have to be perfect, it's that you can't act like you're perfect when you're not. And that's what's going on here. And so the reason they drop dead uh, is to give a warning to the church that false faith leads to death. And it's not the only time it even happens here in the book of Acts. In Acts 8, we're going to find a guy named Simon the Magician who's doing a very similar thing. And so we should be having fear. I know this is like, we don't say this anymore. We should be afraid of treating the Holy Spirit with contempt. Notice at the end of verse 5, after Ananias has died, great fear came upon all 
who heard of it. Again, after verse 11, after his wife Sapphira died, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So fear on the inside of the church and on those who were hearing about this. Later on in Acts 9, we read this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up and walking in what? The fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. So the fear of the Lord and, and what the book of Acts here calls the comfort of the Holy Spirit go hand in hand and they seem to bring peace and growth in the church. And so treating the Lord with contempt, treating the Holy Spirit, who is a person, not an impersonal force, a person with contempt by this religious fakery is the warning that we're being given. Don't do that. Just be honest. He already knows. The, the scriptures are clear. God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. And yet, the Holy Spirit is a great comfort because it's by his indwelling power that we break free from the need of looking like something we're not and be, be able to just become real and authentic, and that's when you actually grow. You actually grow when you stop trying to act like you're already mature when you're not. That's how you get mature. And so, so what's actually wrong with what Ananias and Sapphira did? There, there's a couple things. First of all, what's evident is they love money, right? They make the sale, they look at all the cash, and they just can't give it all away. So actually, they're enslaved to the love of money. They're not actually free. They're, they're enslaved to it, so they keep some back in verse 2. Secondly, they want to look more generous than what they actually are. Oh, man, this is the game we play, isn't it? We all play, we love to play this game. They want the apostles to think that maybe they're like Barnabas. They, they want external religious approval, which is so silly. It doesn't get you anything. And so they not only love money, they love the praise of people. And according to Luke, these two things always go together. If you love money, you probably love the, the praise of men as well. Then the next thing is that they, they lie, right? We, we covered this. They, they lie to, to cover up their greed, their sin. They, they, they lie and they give the impression of generosity. And so if you love things and if you love the praise, the empty praise of people, love for truth and honesty are going to take a backseat. And you're going to be tempted in this way. That's what hypocrisy is. And this is what Ananias and Sapphira. And, and this last thing that always comes with the Holy Spirit, we see in verse 9, they agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit. And so they, they test the Holy Spirit. So, so what does this mean? Well, what, this is the question I asked when I read that line, is how is this a testing of the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a few ideas that, that I think are, are relevant here. One is that maybe they, maybe they haven't even believed that the Holy Spirit is even present in the church. That the Holy Spirit is not there when the church is gathered. Maybe they, they haven't even dealt with this reality yet. Maybe they function simply on a human level. They just, they just are part of the church on a human level. It's just a social club. And they never thought about the, the real presence of the person of the Spirit of God. 
Maybe they believe in his presence in kind of an intellectual way, right? They, they know he's real, but they don't think he, he's God and that he knows the thoughts of their mind. Right? This, is, this is why hiding from God in your sin is so silly. He already, this is Adam and Eve covering themselves with the leaves of the tree that God created out of nothing. It's silly. He already knows, so just be free with him. Maybe they think he's there, but he's not like real. He's not a person who knows things and feels things and acted in real ways like judgment, which we have to deal with in this text. Or maybe they think he's there, he's real, he's God, but he's just not going to be that serious about sin. Like Maybe he just is going to let it fly. He's just going to let it go. God's going to tolerate everything. And so these maybe are the ways that we test the spirit in the church even today. That maybe some of us come to worship, we operate just on a human level. We like the songs or we don't like the songs. We like the teaching. We don't like the teaching, whatever it is. We really like the coffee. We come for that. Uh, but we don't reckon with the reality that there is a living God present in this room with us. Uh, you might hear me say this when I pray that, Holy Spirit, would you be present with us in the unique way that you are when we gather? Because there's a unique sense of his presence when we gather together. Maybe some of us come and we give intellectual assent. We agree that, yeah, yeah, God's present, but we don't really come to terms in our spirit with the fact that he is hearing everything. He's hearing you try to trick yourself into tricking him. And then maybe others of us come and we think he's God and we just don't think he's going to do anything about sin. And so these are the ways in which the spirit is tested. And I want you to notice Ananias and Sapphira, this isn't like a, a spur of the moment thing. They have conspired together to do this. And so this is the warning that Luke wants to make sure is in this text so that anyone who reads it, particularly the person he's sending this letter to, if you read the beginning of Acts, anyone who would read this would understand the seriousness of trying to deceive the church and the Holy Spirit. What does Peter say? You haven't sinned against man. You've sinned against God. And so Luke is wanting to warn us of the seriousness of trying to deceive God into thinking we're more spiritual than we are. God will not be mocked. He's not going to tolerate that. Now, before, before we wrap up, and we, we're going to look at Barnabas again so we can end on a, on a good note, all right? But before we wrap up, I do just want to address the, the idea, the issue of judgment and the way that this story grinds against our sense of justice, right? I don't know about you, but I read this story and I've known the Bible my whole life and I still have struggles with it. Like, really, God? They lied and they just dropped dead? That doesn't seem fair. And so here's the reality, though, that it's, it, it's not that they weren't, they were, Ananias and Sapphira were going to die. Right? We, we have to keep that in mind. Ananias and Sapphira didn't get something they weren't already going to get. Just like you and I are going to die. That's the reality of life in this world. There's suffering and there's death and the Bible makes no qualms about it. And so it's not unjust for this to happen. God simply sped up the timeline on Ananias and Sapphira's life. They were going to die. It's a truth you and I need to remember as well. That's just the reality of life in this broken world. And so if that's true, 
then it's also true that each day, each moment given to us is a gift. And, and it's an opportunity for those of us who know Jesus to move closer to Jesus. We've said this is what we believe discipleship to be, is movement towards Jesus. So every moment you're breathing is a chance to move your life closer to Jesus. It, it, doesn't, it shouldn't strike us as unfair that God would strike Ananias and Sapphira dead in this story. It actually should cause deep gratitude and worship that you and I are still here even now because if we're honest, all of us have sinned this way. So who are we to still be alive? And yet God has been merciful to us because he loves you. And if you know and you follow Jesus, he's been ultimately merciful to you in that your death is already taken care of. Jesus has already died for you. He has been raised so that you can be free from the reality of death. That death does not have the final answer over your life. And because of that, you can pursue the faithfulness to him that we've been talking about today. We literally have nothing to be afraid of. You're not going to get the praise of men. Oh, well, I've got Jesus, and in Jesus, resurrection is coming, so I can be generous with my money, with my reputation, with my time, with whatever. It doesn't matter. This is why we sing songs like we sang today. That, that, this line in this song just gets me. So weep not for me, my friend, when my time below does end, for my life belongs to him who will raise the dead again. Jesus is going to resurrect us. From the dead. And so, because of that, we can be free. We can be like Barnabas. So, so what does a life that trusts in Jesus and this resurrection reality really look like? Well, we get an example in the life of Barnabas. Again, look at, look at this example just from this little story. He apparently doesn't love money and things more than he loves people. When he sold his field, Right? He, he's not sitting there dreaming about all the things he's giving up. We get no indication of that. He's, he, he's glad, it seems. He comes and he just lays it at the apostles' feet. Maybe he's dreaming about the good things that will be done with this gift and the glory that it's going to bring to Jesus. And the encouragement, because Barnabas is son of encouragement, the encouragement it's going to bring to other people in the church. Barnabas doesn't try to appear more generous than he was. He just is who he is. He, he doesn't seem to need the praise of men. Why? Because he has the approval of God. And so do you if you know and love Jesus. God is smiling on you. I love that picture. What you see is what you get with Barnabas. And so therefore he has no need to lie. See, that's freedom. When you can let go of the need for approval... You're free from deceit because you don't have to do it. Why would you lie? You want to be enslaved to something? Start lying. And then lie to cover up that lie and lie to cover up that lie. And you're going to be a slave. So Barnabas doesn't lie. He loves the truth. He can be trusted. And his integrity is an example of faithfulness for us. And then last... He doesn't test the spirit. He knows that the spirit is alive. He seems like he knows the spirit is real in the church. He seems to be empowered by the spirit. And he knows that his every thought is open and is laid bare before the Holy Spirit. You have no thought that's a secret to God. Which means you can be free. 
And so he knows that the gift of grace in his life is not the permission of God to keep on doing wrong things. Should we sin so that grace can abound? May it never be. You're not even getting it if that's what you think. But the power of God, his love in your life and the power of God to not fear death is the key that unlocks your ability to faithfully love other people with with reckless abandon. Because you've got nothing to lose. Jesus has already gained you everything. So we see these two examples here, Ananias and Sapphira, and then we see the example of Barnabas. And, and so for this morning, as difficult and awkward as it is to think about the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, because it's a hard thing to think about, I, I want to just invite you to walk away thinking about the example of Barnabas. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for um, your word to us. We thank you that you, you don't sugarcoat life in this world, that we see that um, you're serious about sin. Jesus, you're so serious about sin that you gave yourself for us. And so I pray that as we continue to, to worship together by, by just seeing what that means as far as us being drawn into community and by taking the bread and the cup in a little bit, that, that we would see the example of Barnabas as an example to follow, and, and that also we would take into account the example of Ananias and Sapphira as a warning to us, that when we begin to feel like we're playing the religious game, we would remember the story. And we would, with reckless abandon, turn again to you, seek your grace, seek your mercy, and become again a person who is free to give generously of all that we are, like Barnabas. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.